Open up in your Bibles with me, please, to Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Galatians 2, 11 to 14. I asked Ben to read Acts chapter 10 in its entirety. Great job, Ben, by the way. Thank you for reading that for us. I asked Ben to read Acts chapter 10 in its entirety because it really is the significant back story, the context for Acts chapter 2 verses 11 to 14. It really helps us understand the weight of these few verses, the weight of this story. And this story is really at the center of the Galatian situation in Paul's mind. This story is extremely important. So let's look at Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 to 14. But when Cephas, that's Peter, that's the same Peter that Acts chapter 10 was all about. It was a very important connection. When Cephas came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. He's Peter, after all. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? So think about this problem with me here. The problem... Uh, that Paul first confronted there at Antioch, that now he's writing the entire letter to the Galatian church to deal with there as well. It's a perennial problem, as we'll see. But the problem is that, very simply, Peter and Barnabas and all of these Jewish Christians who were in Antioch to steward the work of the Spirit among the Gentiles. That's why they were in Antioch. Antioch was a very mixed, culturally, racially diverse city. They're there to steward that work. And they're eating, with the Jew, they're eating with Jews, they're eating with Gentiles, and then they stop eating with Gentiles. I, I, want, you to un, I, want, to, I want us all to appreciate here, because we're going to hear some hard things before this time's over together. I want you to appreciate the power of what is happening here. Something extremely powerful turned these godly leaders of the church into hypocrites. Right? How did Peter go from the apostle to an apostate? To practically an apostate? What was so powerful that it could transform him like that? Well, he says it in verse 12. At the very end, he says, fearing the circumcision party. Fearing their presence. right? Fearing the the shame, the indignity, the, the risk of, being, of having a bad report sent back to Jerusalem about what Peter's doing there in Antioch. Fearing, what we're going to call this morning, fearing the social order. Fearing the social order. And I asked Ben to read the entirety of Acts 10 because I want you to appreciate how huge this moment is for the Apostle Peter. How, how huge this moment is for the early church. 
Peter is the apostle to whom, he's the one to whom that God revealed that Gentiles are welcome into the kingdom of Jesus without any of the trappings of Judaism. He's the one, the sheet, the meat. He's the guy. Barnabas, who gets carried, Paul says, even Barnabas. Barnabas is the most generous, welcoming leader in the, in the entire church. He's the guy. Remember? who when nobody else would even look at Paul, Paul the quote-unquote newly converted, Paul who just weeks before had been hunting the apostles, he's the guy who vets Paul and brings him in to have contact with the other apostles. Peter and Barnabas are led astray. Both of them stop, in Paul's words, stop conducting themselves in step with the truth of the gospel. This is such a huge moment. This is why, I mean, this, this confrontation, Paul had to confront this to its face. You know, all societies have unclean people. All societies have unclean people. All societies have taboos. They have uh, rules around uh, who you can touch and interact with, eat with, fellowship with, be seen with, talk to. Right? Whether we want to talk about the Jim Crow years in the South, we talk about the caste system in India, what do you, you want to talk about every single high school lunchroom in the world? Right? Don't sit at that table. Don't be seen talking to those people. There are very clear rules governing these things. Social groupings and how we navigate, how we move around in, within those social groups That's how the social order marks out who is right and who's not right. And it's how we signal, hey, I'm right. I'm at the right table. Or at least I honor the rightness of the social order, right? Like I might be at the nerd table and not the jock table, or I might be, you know, at the goth table and not at the scholarly table, but I honor the social order. And by this, my righteousness is being displayed. I honor the social order. I'm keeping, I'm keeping the law for all of us here. We're going to talk about cliques, tribes, old pals, your party, the band, the team, the class, your generation, your, your region of the country, your nation, your race. These are all of the different groupings and how we navigate them is the social order. And this is policed. This is policed with fear. It's policed with shame. And the carrot... That's the stick. The carrot is righteousness, social conformity. You get it. What difference does Jesus make? That's the question. That's the only question we ask to whatever the thing is that we're facing, right? Is what is the what difference does Jesus make? We've been talking about discipleship the last couple weeks. Discipleship is learning to live with Jesus. It's learning to live like Jesus. In Galatians 2.14, Paul says, I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Are we in step with Jesus? Are we in step with the truth of the gospel? So that's what we're looking at this morning. What is, first of all, the truth of the gospel. Now, way back in November of 2022, we talked about what is the truth of the gospel. So I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but I'm going to uh, review it briefly. 
Verses 15 to 21 are the truth of the gospel that Paul is referring to here, that, that they're acting in, uh, out of step with. And the first big truth is this. <clears throat> Only Jesus' cross. Only Jesus' cross makes it possible to live to God and to be right with God before God. Only, only the cross. Which means, secondly, here's the second sort of corollary to the truth of the, of the gospel, is that Jesus' cross ruins the illusions that run the social order. See, the social order runs off the illusion that because of who we are or what we do, that we are right before God or right with God. We, we deserve the blessings. We, have, uh, we deserve to avoid the punishments. We're right. That's the, the illusion. That you can be, uh, as Paul goes on to say, we're born Jews who are working the law. We're, we're born in this group. We're born in this place. And we're doing it right. And so we get to be right before God. The cross says, no, you're not. You're wrong. We've got to tear down. We're going to prove you to be a transgressor. That's what the cross does. The cross ruins this illusion. The cross ruins the social order. It ruins the fantasy that any one of us or any group of us is better than anyone else or any other group. Like, what does the cross proclaim? It's that we are just as in need of Jesus as they are. We here in Wisconsin in 2023 are just as in need of Jesus as those who are living in China or Russia or Africa or South America. There's no variation in this. It's 100% need, 100% across the board, and 100% of the places and all the people therein. We are all just as in need of Jesus as any one of us. So this is the truth of the gospel. I preached that sermon. You can go back and listen to it uh, wherever, wherever your podcasts are found. What does it mean to be out of step with the gospel? What does it mean to be out of step with it? It means, he says, to have conduct that is not in keeping with the truth. Of course, I'm just going to state this. You guys kind of know to be in step with something means that your behavior flows naturally or logically from your beliefs. Your behavior flows, is connected to your beliefs. We go to uh, Galatians chapter 5 and Paul says the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the gospel in your life is going to be love. Why is love the first fruit of the Spirit? Well, because Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself for us, right? We've been so loved. So people who've been so loved should, it is natural to expect that they would love a little bit more than they used to. Love, joy, right? You tell, you tell me all of these things has happened to you as a consequence of the gospel and what Jesus did. All of these things, forgiveness, cleansing, new identity, the Spirit, past taken care of, present, He's with you, future's all good, like all of these things, and you don't have a little more joy, a little more bounce in your step. Right? There, there's conduct that is in keeping with the truth. There's behavior that naturally flows from our beliefs. To be out of step, therefore, means to be in conflict, to behave in conflict with our stated beliefs. We love to point this out in other people, don't we? We love to look at the, uh, the billionaires flying around the world in jets trying to raise awareness for global warming. 
and carbon emissions, right? We're like, hey, <laughs> something's not right here. There's a lot of this kind of stuff in our world. There's a lot of this kind of stuff in our lives. It's, it's hypocrisy, right? This is what Paul says Peter and Barnabas and those others were falling into. Hypocrisy. To live as if what you say you believe, you don't believe. To, say, to live as if what you say happened to you, never happened. To live as if what you say was true was not true. To live like the cross was just a useful fiction and nothing more. That's what Peter and Barnabas are doing. They're saying the cross is nice for forming a new club around the people whose sins are forgiven, but it doesn't actually change the way that we relate to each other. It just clarifies the social order that we live by. So they're out of step. They're hypocrites. Now, there's lots of examples of these things in the world and life, and that's not what this sermon is going to be about. We're going to stick with the actual specific situation of this text, which is very important because this is the first big problem that the early church faced, and they faced it everywhere, and we have faced it everywhere ever since. The first big problem they faced was exactly this situation. They faced it here in Galatia. They faced it in Corinth. They faced it in Ephesus. They faced it in America today. So the specific situation is that to be in step with the truth of the gospel here means Jews eat with Gentiles. You caught a little bit of the, of the sort of the cultural friction that this would have involved in Acts 10, what Ben read for us, where Peter's like, normally I wouldn't even go into your house, but since I got a triple vision from the God, I think I'll try it out. Like they would not normally do any of that kind of association or fellowship. In step with the gospel means Jews eat with Gentiles. Here's what that meant for the Jews and the Gentiles. It meant they noted the social order. Right? They, they observed it. They said, we would not normally do this. They noted acceptable relationships. We would not normally eat together. We might, I might be willing to buy you know, clothes from you or bowls or whatever, but we would not normally fellowship in this way. They note those gaps. They note those barriers. And then they love across them. They love through them. That is, that is what Galatians is all about. You remember where Paul says, Let's see what my next slide is here. Paul says in chapter 5 or 6, he says, circumcision doesn't count. Uncircumcision doesn't count. The only thing that counts is faith in Jesus and what he's done, working itself out, expressing itself in love for people who are different from you. Circumcision doesn't count. The social order doesn't count. He says it again in chapter 6.15. At the very end of Galatians, in case we had any confusion of what was going on, he says again, circumcision counts for nothing. Uncircumcision counts for nothing. Your social groupings that you have navigated your entire life by are meaningless. The only thing that counts is new creation. The only thing that counts is what the Spirit of God is at work bringing into being. The beautiful new creation community. 
which is the presence of Jesus in believers who love across the social order gaps through the social order barriers. The presence of Jesus in believers who love across theological gaps, social and cultural and political barriers and gaps. This is a sign, Paul says, here to the, in what is likely the first book of the New Testament written. To these first Christians, he says, this is a sign of the gospel in you. But it's something more. This is what the gospel was meant to create. Not just saved souls, but a new creation. A community of saved souls. A new social order. This is the message of Galatians. Not just that we are justified by faith alone, although that is a very significant and important message of Galatians, but that because of that truth, because of the gospel, a new kind of society is being created by the Spirit of God. And the message of Galatians is that our faith in the gospel will, should, transform our social posture. What difference does Jesus make to the fundamental operation of our lives? What difference does Jesus make? What difference does Jesus make to how we think we become righteous? Is it through social conformity? Right? Do not be conformed to this world. Why would we want to be conformed to this world? Do you ever pause and think about why is that such an appealing thing? It's because we want to be righteous. We want to be looked at and said, all right, they're doing it right. They got it. They're with, look at the table they're at. Look at how they maneuver socially. They're doing it right. Are we righteous through social conformity or are we righteous because we've trusted the righteous one to work on our behalf? We've trusted Jesus and what he's done. That's how we become righteous. The related question is, how do we think righteousness looks? This gets a little more applicable. How do you think righteousness looks? Who in your life do you look at and say, they're doing it right? Is it because they have conformed nicely to the social order and seem to be thriving in it? Or because they embody Jesus' radical hospitality? In Luke chapter 7, verse 34, you remember Jesus is being accused by the Pharisees, the circumcision party, what's going to become the circumcision party. He's being accused as being a friend of sinners. Don't we love that about him? I love that Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend of this sinner, right? He's a friend of you sinners. We love this about Jesus. But this is intention with the kind of friends we naturally gravitate to, the kind of friends we want our kids to have, the kind of friends we look for. I wanted to read all of Acts 10 as the background to watch our, our friend, the Apostle Peter, become this almost apostate character here so that we get a sense of the power struggle in our own hearts. I was listening to a, uh, an interview this last week with a writer named George Saunders and and he, he, he said exactly what this passage here in Galatians uh, is doing. What it exposes. It, it exposes the heart, our heart intention with ourselves. The heart intention 
with the self. Right? I know you. I know our heart longs to follow Jesus. We long to be like Jesus. We want to follow Jesus into the beautiful new creation community. That's what we all want. But the self fears the social order. The self fears the men from James. The self fears what they're going to think about me and what they're going to say about me when they go back to Jerusalem. The self is afraid of feeling that shame or being excluded or being talked about. My heart longs to see this wonderful thing come into be, but my self is afraid of it. And so we see in this story, we see apostles become apostates. We see this painful confrontation. And the message for us, friends, is this. Fundamentally, there's some hard realities and hard realizations here for us to struggle with. And all of us are going to be tripping. That's not the expression I want to see. All of us will trip <laughs> on these things. Tim Keller says the, about this passage that it exposes the fact that the Christian life is a continual realignment process. A continual realignment process. You know those scenes in space movies where, where NASA is sending the rocket off, right? And, and as soon as the rocket blows and it's going up, right? And they keep saying, well, you know, you're, you're one degree off this way. You're un, one degree off this way. You know, a little extra juice in this rocket's thing and then a little more in this one. And why? Because it's continual realignment process in order to escape the terrible pull of gravity. And this is what the Spirit's doing in our life. You're not going to have a straight trajectory out into the atmosphere. Gravity's too strong. But continual realignment process, that's what, Galat- that's what the book of Galatians is. That's what this passage is for us as well. And so friends, here in summary is what the Holy Spirit through the book of Galatians is inviting us to consider. To, to help our conduct be more in step with the truth of the gospel. And it's this. It's inviting us to sit at a new lunch table. Sit at a new lunch table. That's the Holy Spirit. You got your tray, right? You walked in the door here this morning, and the Holy Spirit's over there going, Hey! Hey! And you're going, Anywhere? Anywhere else? And the Holy Spirit's trying to get you to sit at the Holy Spirit's table. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge. The Holy Spirit's kind of a dork when you compare him to all the other groups. But this is what God is inviting us to to sit at a new lunch table. Now, this is a, somewhat of a metaphor. Of course, it's also a very practical thing if you're in a situation with people who are different from you. Um, but it's a little bit of a metaphor, which before we talk about, we're not going to talk about any of like the practical skills of how to make friends or how to be nice to people who are different from you or how to endure awkward situations. We're not going to talk about any of that because fundamental prior to that is a kind of a posture, a new kind of posture towards people who are different from us. And I just, I kind of love the lunch table metaphor. You remember that moment where you, you sit down with people that you're not, you're not really familiar with or really comfortable with? And it's an extraordinary moment. It's so painful. But it's characterized by a couple of things. Uh, it's characterized by a posture of unity or identification with. I'm willing to be grouped together with this table. I'm willing to be grouped together with these people. This is what Peter and Barnabas are no longer willing to say when the men from James come and what Paul rips into them about. I'm willing to be grouped together with this, which is natural for us because 
Right? We and all Christians share an enormous, have an enormous shared experience. As Paul goes on to say in 2.20, he says, we have been crucified with Christ. We and they and, and you and them have all been crucified together with Christ. We have all been justified by grace out of brokenness. That's our group. That's our group. That is, that is a life-changing, a narrative-destroying, a new creation group identity. So it's a posture of identification with, it's a posture of hospitality, or at least a sort of a spirit of hospitality, which is natural because, uh, as Paul says in Romans 15, 7, he says, welcome one another, be hospitable to one another, because God in Christ has welcomed you. Friends, it is a, a fundamental aspect of our faith and our discipleship that God expects us, that the Spirit is working in our lives to create people who treat others the way we have been treated by God. Welcome those because you have been so welcomed by this God. Now that doesn't make it easy, right? One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, where Peter says, uh, show, show hospitality to one another um, without grumbling. Which I love because if you've ever been hospitable to, to people, you kind of, you know, at the end of the night, you're struggling with like... They didn't, they didn't take their shoes off. They didn't clean their shoes well enough. Like, you know, were they going through this drawer? Like, what, like, you know, you're like, what were the, what's going on here, right? Hospitality and the spirit of hospitality does not mean that everything's going to be magical and sweet. It's going to be, again, hard. The heart, intention with the self. Peter, the apostle, intention with Peter, the apostate. But I think the biggest posture that sitting at a new lunch table uh, gives us is a posture of curiosity. Right? You sit down and, and immediately, who are you? What are you up to? Is There's a curiosity, an interest, a concern, which is natural, right? Because we're saying we've experienced the grace of God in our brokenness. They've experienced the grace of God in their brokenness. Just like last week we saw in the testimonies from Anita and Ben, we got to learn such interesting and different aspects of the grace of God through their stories and experiences. And so now I want to learn about the grace of God that was given to you. Tell me. I want it. I want that picture of God. Right? Because they're, and, and they're part of our new family. We hear these stories. I don't know if you've got uh, people that you know who've, who've experienced this, but you hear these stories from time to time of uh, people who had to put a child up for adoption when they were very young. And then fast forward 30 or 40 years, and they're reunited with that child. Have you heard these kind of stories? I heard of two of them in just the last couple of years of people that I know. What do you think is their relationship with that rediscovered child, that rediscovered family member? Right? What, what, what are they, how do they interact? It's just starving for information. Tell me everything that's ever happened to you. Tell me how you are. Tell me what you are. How are you doing right now? I'm just so concerned. I'm so curious. Because we're family. This is behavior in keeping 
with the truth. And more than just a natural impulse, this is what the Spirit of God is doing in us. The only other uh, place in Galatians where that phrase, in step with, out of step with, is used is in Galatians 5 where Paul says, he says, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. Which, right, the image there is like the Spirit's going, come on, like we're, we're, gonna, we're having an adventure, we're going somewhere exciting, and let's go. And so our posture towards what the Spirit is doing, our posture towards the beautiful new creation community should be one of fundamentally of curiosity. You know, as a Christian, I want to sit with all Christians, especially those who are different from me. I especially want to sit with the Christians who are different from me. But what's even more interesting is that as a Christian, I also want to sit with all the non-Christians, especially those who are different from me. Because I know that the Spirit of God has wonderful things in my brothers and sisters for me, but I also know that the Spirit of God is at work in their lives. Friends, if you show up at any kind of lunch table, that means the Spirit of God is at work at that lunch table. So keep your ears and eyes open. So for us, friends, there can be no prejudice, no prejudging of anyone at all, anywhere, ever. But only ever curiosity. What's the Spirit up to? And care. I've been so loved and so welcomed. Let me love and welcome you in the same way. And I think especially this is true if there is a group, if there is a group that feels socially fragile. If there's a group that feels like they've been mistreated or overlooked or uncared for, what would be a Christian way to interact with those people that's in, that's keep, in keeping with, in step with the truth of the gospel? Wouldn't it be that we want to go overboard in expressing attentiveness and concern for them? Go overboard in caring for them? Right? That's conduct in step with the truth of the gospel. Who are these people in our society? Who are the Gentiles for us? Who are the Gentiles in our lives? The others in our society? Who comes to mind for you? We're going to use just the basic categories that Paul lays out in chapter 3, verse 27 of Galatians, where he says they're in, in Christ there's neither slave nor free. In Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither uh, male nor female. So this points to people of different races or different ethnicities, the Jews and the Gentiles. Slave and free speaks to different socioeconomic status. We talk about this uh, not just in terms of bank accounts, but also we, we think about this in terms of class, manners, appearance. Male and female wasn't just a, a gender thing, it was actually a legal status thing. So others, people who are different from us in terms of uh, their legal status, maybe they're incarcerated, maybe they're newly released, maybe they're here as an immigrant legally, maybe they're here as an immigrant illegally. All of these people have different sort of legal statuses compared to most of us. It could be as we, as we think about people who are different from 
from us. It could be just people in different life stages. You look at teenagers. You look at singles, young adults, or young families, empty nesters, elderly people. Or people uh, with physical or cognitive disabilities. Physical disabilities, mental handicaps, being on the autism spectrum. These are all people in our society who, are, who many of us have differences from. And friends, what we need to honor this morning is this fact that we have Christian family in every one of those social categories. There are black Christians in America. There are Christians in China. There are Orthodox Christians in Russia. There are Christians in Argentina, in Cuba. There are Christians in every race and every nation. There are Christians in every socioeconomic status. There are Christians who love opera and Christians who love honky-tonk. There are blue-collar Christians who can never get their fingernails clean. And there are white-collar Christians who, ne- who only once a day remember to wash their hands. There are Christians who are in prison. There are Christians who are trying to find jobs on the outside. There are Christians who are here in America legally. And there are Christians who are here in America illegally. There are Christians who are teenagers. And there are Christians who are very, very elderly. There are Christians who are single, who are struggling with young families, who are in an empty nester stage. There are Christians who have physical disabilities. There are Christians who have mental disabilities. There are Christians who are on the autism spectrum. We have Christian family in all of these categories. And if you really want to pop some popcorn, we have future Christian family in all of these categories. Do we sit with them? Do we lean in and listen to them? Are we curious about their experiences? Do we honor their stories, their faith, for us, for our own benefit, as well as for theirs? Are we concerned for them? Are we preferential to their needs? As Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, don't regard your own needs, but regard the needs of others as more important than your own. Do we advocate for them when they're in trouble? Paul says in Romans 12, verse 4, verse 15, he says, mourn with those who mourn. Join with them in their sorrows. Do we stand with them against harm and injustice like the Hebrew Christians did in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 33 to 34, where the author of Hebrews praises them for being participants in the prison and persecution, loss of uh, resources and, and valuables that those Christians were going through there. And some of the Christians who, who weren't a part of that persecution, they joined them in it. Now when I say this stuff, doesn't your heart long to? Doesn't your heart long to lean in and listen and, and, and hear of the grace of God in those stories of people who are so different from us, from you? But it's a tension, isn't it? You feel the pull? Your heart in tension with yourself? 
This is what this is what this story is about. Where the Spirit's taking us and where we've been. We believe that Jesus changes everything. We believe that the truth of the gospel will change our conduct. We believe, as Galatians 2 says, that this has special applicability to our social order. Would you open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7? Open up in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. And we're going to conclude with a a story here. Luke chapter 7 verse 34 is the passage where Jesus is being derided as being a friend of sinners. So Luke, who also wrote Acts chapter 10, Luke tells us the story of a time when Jesus was a friend of a sinner. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 7 verse 36. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it says that one of the Pharisees, again, the the party of the circumcision, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Just let your mind run wild with whatever that means for a second. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. See that taboo? She shouldn't be touching him. He should know. Because she's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. I think teacher should be in parentheses. Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, look at this question. Do you see this woman? Do you see the crazy person who just made this whole room stink and is carrying on? Do you? But he's saying, do you actually see her? Do you see her? I entered your house, Simon. You gave me no water for my feet, rude. She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Do you see this woman? Jesus' message here, the friend of sinners' message here, is the same message of the book of Galatians, which is this. The social order is over. The social order is done. Here's the new social order. Whoever has touched Jesus is welcome. Whoever Jesus' grace has touched, whoever loves Jesus is welcome at our table. And this is a challenge. This is a challenge. It was a challenge for Peter and Barnabas. And they're way better Christians than you and me. It's going to be a challenge for us. But this is the table that we want to sit at, friends. 
This is the new creation. This is the table that, like those, that first creation, this is the table that the Spirit of God is hovering over. This is the table that the Spirit of God is hovering over saying, let there be light. And it's from there that the light of the truth is shining into the darkness of the way things are. What for us was the way things were. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, even when it exposes tensions in our souls, or maybe especially when it exposes tensions in us, when it exposes worldly postures, when it exposes attitudes that, that Jesus has not really come into contact with, Lord, it's hard to hear those things, but we thank you for your word, for drawing our attention to those things. Because, Father, we love Jesus. We want to follow him. We want to be like him. We want to be led by him. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and so we want to follow you into the beautiful new creation community. We don't want to be like we used to be. We don't want to be like everybody else. We want to be like you. But Lord, you know this is hard. And so we conclude this morning just asking that you would, you would work in us. Would you expose, Lord, those sort of hypocritical tendencies that we all struggle with socially? And as Paul confronted those things to their face, Lord, would you help us to see those things in us? And would you draw us by your grace, draw us into the beautiful new creation community, give us that, that sweet posture, and do this work in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.